Hey lovelies, before we get started, I just wanted to let you know that new spring styles are launching a week from today. That's March 15th. I'm really excited about it. There is a brand new print on my best-selling flutter dress coming out, and there is also a completely new design in also this gorgeous floral silky fabric. It's stunning. Next week's episode is going to be all about those styles, my design process, and everything that went into that. But for now, if you want to be the first to know when those pieces are available, head over to the show notes, sign up for the emails, and you will get first dibs on limited quantities. Lately, I keep seeing memes that go something along the lines of, why am I so tired? She asked herself one year into a pandemic that completely upended life as she knows it. And I have completely 100% and totally fallen prey to that. I found myself that over the last couple of weeks to just be exhausted in a different kind of way, really in shock that it's been a year since our lives have changed so drastically. And it felt appropriate to mark that one year anniversary with a replay of the conversation that I had with Sashi Shine. She is a nurse practitioner who was working in a tent outside the hospital to take care of COVID patients. And I feel like it's worth a re-listen, if for no other reason than to acknowledge how far we have come, especially here in New York. From Impact Fashion, it's Be Impactful, a show about the women making a difference in their own corners of the world. I'm Rifki Itzkowitz, and on today's show, I talk with a nurse practitioner about the impact of COVID-19 on her work, what it's really like to be on the front lines, and what people like you and me can do to help. Shashi Turinshine works in the place I know I least want to go right now hospital, or more accurately, a tent on the street outside the hospital. With the impact of the novel coronavirus and COVID-19 being felt particularly hard in our hometown of New York City, there simply isn't enough space inside the emergency room. We recorded this on Wednesday, April 22nd, less than a week before it will air. I'm only noting that because things are changing so quickly. Really honored to be speaking to you today because I think that you are um, doing something that most people, myself included, would be terrified to do right now. So to get started, I would like to know, what were you like as a little kid? Okay, but first of all, thank you so much for having me on here. I am so honored to be here. I've been a fan, and I'm just, like, really excited to be here. Um, what was I like as a little kid? Um, I had a head full of curly hair. I was always singing something or performing something, and... I really had big dreams of becoming a Barbie princess mermaid ballerina singer. That's yeah, awesome. That was that was like my plan. In what order? Like like Barbie first, then princess, then mermaid, or like ballerina first? Like what was what was your number it one? Was, it was just going to be like an all together kind of thing. Oh yeah, those are some solid like all life at the plans. Same time. <laughs> <laughs> that that was me. So, yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. Can you tell everyone what it is that you do now? Yeah, sure. So I am a nurse practitioner. I work at New York Presbyterian Hospital. 
and I am also a recipe developer slash food blogger, um, and also a mom. So great things, basically like the Barbie Princess Mermaid thing, but like a little different. But like just a little, but kind of a little bit. I like it. Yeah, you kind of basically are a, bar- a Barbie Princess Mermaid. How is a nurse practitioner <laughs> different you. from a regular nurse? So a regular nurse would go to school for about four years, get their bachelor's degree. Um, and then a nurse practitioner goes back to school for another three years and gets their master's degree. And then they function pretty similarly to a PA. It's like kind of in between a PA and a doctor. Um, so we can prescribe medications. We can um, have like full-fledged visits. Um it's pretty cool, actually. That does sound super cool. Um, and you mentioned that you're New York Presbyterian now. Um, and we are talking, actually, unusually for me, very close when this is going to be recorded, uh, when it's, we're recording very close to when it's going to be released, uh, because I specifically wanted to talk to you about what it's like to be in a hospital now um, with everything that's going on. Um, we are both in New York City, which is um, one of the hotbeds of the whole COVID-19 outbreak and coronavirus and and all of that. So what what is your day-to-day look like usually and how has that changed now with everything that's going on? This is a very well-phrased question. Thanks. Um, (laughs) No problem. So um, my day-to-day on a regular, you know, Tuesday is I see um, walk-in patients um, that come into the clinic for any shape or form type of thing. Um, I give them their prescription and I send them on their way or, you know, talk, that's not really what I do. I kind of talk to them about their issue, help resolve it, connect them to their primary care doctor, and then, you know, send them on their way. Um, COVID-19 has changed things. Like everything is crazy different now. Um, the clinic where I work and actually all the ambulatory care centers, um, have been closed down. What is an Um, ambulatory care center? So we provide, um, care to patients who otherwise would not be able to afford care. So it's basically like a, almost like a free clinic. Um, we take insurance like Medicare and Medicaid, but it's basically like a free clinic. Um, Yeah. That doesn't mean I work for free, by the way. I should hope not. You need to (laughs) put food on the table. Right. Exactly. Um, But yes, so we work with the underprivileged community and it's basically um, a center where they can come to for a lot of different um, types of care. Like we do have regular family medicine practices, but we also have a musculoskeletal clinic an integrative medicine clinic where they work like with um, herbs and supplements. Um, we have a podiatrist, we have an OBGYN. So an ambulatory care center is a catch-all phrase for like a free clinic, basically. Yeah. Okay. Basically. Cool. I learned a new okay. word today. <laughs> it's just fancy. Um, so, right. So all the ambulatory care centers of New York Presbyterian have been closed down. Um, only like a select few are open for like specific needs. Like there's a pediatric center for kids to be- get vaccines and a OBGYN center for people to have prenatal visits. 
but that's pretty much it. Um, and then all the people who work in those ambulatory care centers have been sent to other places, whether in the hospital or basically like wherever they're, they're needed to help out with the COVID situation. Um, my current role is working in a tent that is set up outside of one of the New York Presbyterian hospitals. It's right outside the emergency room. And my job at this moment is to screen any patient who is sort of stable. We monitor their um, oxygenation level and their heart rate. And if those are at stable levels, then we evaluate the patient, we give them information on how to quarantine themselves and the things that they need in order to stay home and support themselves at home so that they don't overload the emergency room. So you're a, a first line of defense almost. You're, you're keeping people from getting into the emergency room. If there's someone who can care for themselves at home, then you want to get them, you want to prevent them from even going into the emergency room. Exactly. That's what we do. Wow. Okay. Lots of questions. When you say tent, okay. <laughs> when you say tent, I think like I went to camp and I was in a tent and it wasn't like, like I'm thinking tent, like what you go camping in. And I've seen pictures so, of the tents that they've set up around New York City, and they are, I don't know, like, it, like they, they do seem more sturdy, but is it still, like, talk, talk me through the, the tech, if it's hot outside, is it hot in the tent? Like, is it air conditioned? I presume you have electricity in it. I'm fascinated yes. by the tent. <laughs> it's, it's pretty cool, actually. So I went to camp, but it was not the kind of camp that put you in tents ever. Mm -hmm. um, so this is actually my first tent experience, um, but it's pretty, you know, stable. They drill it into the ground with like, you know, sturdy screws and there is air conditioning and heating, which is good because it gets cold or hot really quickly. Um, but it is a tent. It's like, you know, vinyl fabric and draped over some sticks. Okay, so it's secure. Good. Now that we've taken yeah. care of that, my next question is: When <laughs> you you said that that you, what your current position is, has that been your? I mean, we're about what is it like six weeks now? Time is all melding. Mm -hmm. We're about six weeks now, I think, from when this whole mess started. So, have you been doing this the entire six weeks, or um, have you been shifted around a lot? So the first um, two weeks, I was I was still at our clinic. And my job was basically to stand at the door and tell people to go home and say, we're going to arrange a video visit for you um, unless it was a true emergency. And then I'd um, connect them with the right people in order to, to allow them to be seen. What um, does that feel like? Because especially like your, it, it's not easy to get your job like there's a lot of school involved and I'm going to assume and correct me if I'm wrong that you're in this job to help people and to help get them better and if someone shows up and they're you know they're they need some kind of help to say actually like I'm not going to help you right now what is that like so it's actually really hard I'm a big yes person I want to give everybody exactly what they need when somebody comes in I want to help fix their problem the best way I can. Um, and it like to say, you can't come in here or I cannot afford to give you a mask even though you need one um, was 
really hard. Um, but then I realized at the end of the day that what I'm doing is bigger than just this individual interaction. It's, you know, making sure that it, this illness doesn't spread so this person doesn't get sick so that, um, you know, this pregnant woman is not at risk because this person decided to walk into the clinic. And I also was able to, because of my um, schooling and area of expertise, I was able to assess the patient at the door and pretty much give them their prescription that they had been asking for for the last three weeks right then and there instead of contacting their doctor and waiting a longer period of time. So in a way, it was nice to be able to help people right away, but it also did take a lot of that um, mental restructuring, I guess, to, you know, think of it in the right perspective. Right. It is a, it's a little bit more of a passive way of helping people. Mm -hmm. You know, it's, well, I think that's part of what also is so hard about all of this is that the best thing that everyone can do now is stay home, right? Yes. Okay. So staying home is not an activity. (laughs) Staying home is, is the absence of doing other things. You know, it's a, it's a more passive way of looking at it. And that, that is, I think, part of what makes this so hard for people that and just the fact that I'm sure that we're all getting sick of our four walls. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it, it's it's a totally different different way of, like you said, like looking at the problem. Um, so in your job as like the, the front lines at, at the, you know, b- the precursor to the emergency room, um, what is it? Uh, is it like a hectic, I'm imagining like the ER in Grey's Anatomy when something happens and then, you know, everyone flies in and there's all sorts of lights flashing and, and all of that. Is that what it's like um, in the tent that you're in? What is, what is, what is it like in the hospitals even? Oh my gosh. First of all, Grey's Anatomy is not real. No, don't crush <laughs> that for me. Grey's Anatomy is all I have in this quarantine. <laughs> Okay, keep watching it. It's great. Um, but Grey's Anatomy is not real. Um, the one thing about our tent, which is wonderful, is that our patients are stable for the most part. So we never had to call a code or like intubate someone or anything like that in the tent. Um, their, their pulse oximetry and their pulse are measured before they get into the tent. So... Um, like we never kind of run into that situation. In the actual emergency room though, um, for the first couple of weeks, that was what was going on everywhere. It was like every five seconds they were calling another code, another uh, respiratory therapist. It was terrifying. When you say calling a code, I think I kind of know what that means. Does that mean that Mm -hmm. someone has died or that someone has gone into distress like how I I get that it's bad but how bad is that um it's like if you don't intervene within the next couple of minutes the person will die so either it means that their breathing is impacted or impeded um, where they can't maintain a normal level of oxygenation or that, you know, their heart is not functioning the way that it should, or that their pressure is so high that they're in danger of having a stroke or, um, you know, back or something else. Um, 
it's just, it means that there's a situation that needs to be responded to at this moment. And there are different kinds of codes, um, but a lot of the codes that we've been seeing have been related to respiratory issues. Wow. Just for reference, you know, you said that there was, every time you turned around, there was someone else who was coding in, in the emergency room. How often, like under normal circumstances, how often would there be like someone calling a code? Um, not that often, like once every, sometimes it's only once a shift. Sometimes it's once like every eight hours. I mean, that is a shift. I'm sorry. I mean, it basically what I mean to say is very few and far between maybe once a shift or, you know, maybe a little more often than that the place that you're mostly seeing it is in the ICU or the emergency room, but like, they're not, they're not that free since I've been there for two years. So it's, yeah. it's a huge change. That's crazy. And now, and now you would say, how often would you say that um, there's coding happening now? Well, actually things have, thank God, been improving. Um, we're hearing a lot less pages for people, a lot fewer codes. Um, I would say instead of hearing them like on top of each other, you're hearing them like probably spaced out by like 20 minutes, which is really nice. Wow. But it's still so much more frequent than, you know, than what you would see normally. It's still, you know, every 20 minutes is not once every eight hours. Right. Exactly. Yikes. Okay. Yeah. See, I am some like really (laughs) sorry. No, it's it's I'll tell you what it is. It's first of all, don't apologize, because I think that it's important for people to hear this. I think that it's important. um, I was I'm not going to lie. I was a little bit nervous to have this conversation because um, in a lot of ways, it's easier for me to say, okay, I'm going to wear my mask when I go grocery shopping. I'm going to stay inside and then this will all be over soon. Um, and it's very easy to forget about the other, you know, I, I am I am of the population where I can work pretty easily from home. My husband can work pretty easily from home and where, you know, so we have more takeout and we don't, you know, and we're, and we're not going places. And, and, you know, by and large, our life has not been hugely affected. Obviously, we're, you know, it's been affected in the same way as everyone else, but it hasn't been, you know, we don't really see it so much. Um, in the way that we look at things. And then there's this whole other, like, universe almost of what's going on in the hospitals, what's going on for people who are essential workers, like grocery store workers and, and all of that. That is this whole other universe that is experiencing this epidemic or pandemic totally, totally differently um, from how those of us who are just staying home are. And I, it's, I mean, it's important. It's important to know what's going on. And I think it's also important to realize that, you know, it's, it's real. It's not just something that you see on the news. It's something that people are dealing with consistently. That's, that's true. Yeah. But it, it, but it is a lot. And I'm someone who like, to me, the place that I would not want to like the, if you told me like, what, if, what is one place that I can't pay you any money to go there right now? It's a hospital. I don't want to be anywhere near there. And you are, you, you, like, there is not even enough of a word. I need a bigger word that, like, 
that shows the bigness of your presence there. Do you know what I mean? Like you are <laughs> there. I am there. <laughs> yeah. And with like all caps, underlined, bold, and italics, it's, it's a lot. What is the general feeling? Like what is, uh, the only word I can think of right now is morale. Um, but, but what is the general vibe among the other staff at the hospital? Um, like amongst uh, your colleagues? So in the town where I work, people are primarily very motivated and um, positive. There's a really good energy going, which is making it a lot easier to work there. Um, I think part of it is that, number one, we don't hear the codes. I only hear them when I go into the hospital to eat lunch or pump. So that's a part of it. And then another thing is, is that we feel like we're helping patients, we're helping the emergency room. We realize like what big part of the puzzle we are playing um, a role in, and it really just helps us stay positive. As far as the people in the hospital, so for the past couple of weeks, people's emotions have been really, really um, strung out and stressed out and you just like you'd see people crying in the halls because they couldn't do anything um and they had like most of the time they would have a conversation with somebody who's fully conscious and in any other case would have nothing wrong with them and they said i'm really sorry but this virus is attacking you in a way that i can't help you unless we put you to sleep and put a tube down your throat and there's a big chance you might not wake up um that's a really difficult conversation to have with someone. And we were having it over and over and over again. And then they'd be there with their, without family to help them um, make the decision because nobody else was allowed inside. And you'd be there as their advocate saying, this is the best for you, but also, you know, there's a good chance that this can kill you. So, you know, you'd see people crying all the time. Um, once things started dying down, which basically happened over the Passover break, um, we are seeing an increase in morale. People are doing a little bit better. We have a little bit of, better of a rhythm uh, and we know kind of things that help us manage the symptoms a little bit better than we did before. Um, another thing that we've been doing is playing a song every time a patient gets extubated or discharged if they're a COVID patient. So that's really great because um, we play I've Got a Feeling by Black Eyed Peas. Oh, and that song. It's wonderful. And everybody like cheers and it really boosts morale a lot. So that's been helping. Yeah, that I can imagine also. Also, just good music is always a good idea. Very true. Yeah. Um, there's been a lot of talk about uh, PPE or personal protective equipment, um, things like masks and gowns and, and all of that, and basically how there isn't enough of it. Um, can you tell, like, first of all, why is PPE so important? So part of the reason why I feel, like, comfortable doing what I do is because I know I'm protected against the virus. Um, I get a gown, I get an N95 mask, and then I get a 
another mask on top of that to protect my N95. Um, I get a pair of goggles or a face shield and I have gloves and booties um, to cover my shoes, which means that every part of me is covered and we get videos and instructions about how to take on and off our PPE so that we are protected against the virus. Um, this means that when I'm interacting with the patient, if they cough or sneeze on me and they are COVID positive, which a lot of our patients are, um, I don't have to freak out and worry that I've now contracted the virus and could bring it home to my family, et cetera, et cetera. Um, the shortage of PPE is definitely a true thing. Um, there was a while where we had only two N95 masks in our entire clinic. Um, and it was a scary moment because there was a, a debate whether or not the virus was airborne or if it was droplet, which means um, if there are two N95 masks and the only thing that prote protects against an airborne virus is an N95 mask, and you don't have those to give around, then how do you decide who gets it and who's protected and who's not? Um, the shortage of PPE right now, um, we are getting a lot more masks, which is great. Um, we still have to reuse our N95. So until it gets dirty, we keep the same mask on and cover it with that extra mask so that it's protected. I've been wearing the same N95 since a week and a half ago. How um, often would you usually change it? Between patients. Oh, wow. Yeah. Um, but we have what we need for now. We, do, we are running low on a lot of supplies, but we're trying to conserve it as much as we can. The implications for patients, though, is that in order to go into a room with a COVID-positive patient, a nurse or medical assistant or doctor needs to don an entire wardrobe, like I described before, of PPE. Now, if you are having a shortage of PPE, you don't want to be going into that room repeatedly. So if you need to take vital signs and you need to take blood and you need to give the patient their meal and you need to you know, assess their urine output and check their, their vent, you're not going in a hundred times per shift. You're trying to bulk all those things together in order to conserve your PPE, which means that the patients are unfortunately being visited less frequently. And um, it, I mean, it's difficult to care for patients the way that you normally would if you aren't able to do that safely. Wow. What would, you know, you mentioned the mask, the gown, the, the booties. What, what part of that is what you would normally wear just, you know, in, let's say, I don't know, three months ago? Um, or, and what part of that is specific to um, the situation that we're in now? So three months ago, when I was seeing patients, um, I put on maybe gloves like before I, I examined them. And if there was like no, if they were a well person, I wouldn't need any gloves and I would just 
you know, wash my hands, examine them, wash my hands again, and that's it. Um, this is all new stuff. Right. This is a this is a whole other wardrobe. Yes. It's Yikes. Very very attractive. <laughs> <laughs> i'm sure listen not all superheroes wear capes that's true because capes are expensive and we don't have those <laughs> oh, that was great um you mentioned the the family aspect and you know we know that there are no it, it makes sense that you sh- that there are no family members that are allowed to visit the patients um in in, in the hospital now, it's not safe uh, for anyone to be there. Um, but at the same time, that must put um, more of a burden on the hospital staff because the only people that the patients are seeing are you and you don't know them. You're strangers. So what is that aspect of it like? So we basically at this point taking patients on to become like our family. We realize that there's nobody there advocating for them. And if they need ice chips because they're thirsty, there's Nobody to get it for them besides us. Um, Our roles have shifted completely. While we normally, you know, advocate for our patients and and provide for them, it's become a whole new perspective and new way to do this because we have to be so much more than that. Um, Providers that I work with who are managing COVID patients I've seen them sit there for two hours calling the family and just patient family after patient family trying to give little updates and as much encouragement as possible um, or realistic news as possible because, I mean, there's no other way to do it. You have to be calling the family to give updates because otherwise the family will call us. And also, we don't want the family to be in the dark. We understand that this is a really, really scary situation. Um, so it's been very different, um, especially from the provider side. Like just the calling of the families. I know that most of the providers I work with call the families twice a shift, but the families are thinking, it's not enough. They're not giving me enough updates on my parents. But at the same time, we can't physically do more than we're doing. Right. It's it's impossible. You wouldn't be able to take care of the patients if you were just updating everyone about about, you know, how how mom is doing or or whatever. I mean, it's I unfortunately have experience with family members in hospitals and whenever that did happen, there was always someone from the family who was with whoever the patient was so like our family had 24 7 eyes on whatever was going on and even if it was just you know oh how are they looking today you know what's um are they responsive in this way are they is it better or worse than yesterday and you know you you make your family chat and everyone can stay updated and it's impossible to do that if you don't have someone there and obviously you can't have a staff member there you know the entire time they have they need to actually keep the patient alive but yeah that that creates a whole other level of just the just stress around the situation exactly and another part of the puzzle is that the patient themselves a lot of the time is unable to communicate with the family at all because they are themselves intubated or on a ventilator it's 
it's so difficult for the families to go through. And I, I kind of want to tell the families that we interact with, like we're doing everything we can, but I understand that no matter what we say, there it's never going to be enough because it's not the same. Right. It's, it's not the same. It can't be the same as, as sitting there as, you know, parking yourself next to the bed for however long it takes. Exactly. Wow. That's ugh. yikes. The, the fact the it's, <laughs> What's interesting is interesting is not even is is not even the wrong word, but what is so crazy to me is like you is like we were saying before, this totally opposite experiences of, you know, the people like me who are at home and working from home and having relatively normal lives and and the people like you who are really seeing this firsthand. Um, what is something that that you that people like me can do what is something that people like me can can do to help to somehow make your job easier if that's even possible um and, and what do you want the people who are maybe getting bored sitting at home maybe getting a little bit sick of their four walls maybe feeling like I'm ready for this to be over what what do you want to let them know so a lot of the things that we've appreciated over the past couple of weeks is First of all, that 7 p.m. when people come out on their porches and clap for people as they change shifts, that's been so motivating. It's like the whole world is encouraging you to go do what you do. My husband says, like, I leave my house every morning and I feel like I'm going to save the world. And I really do because I, I'm like, I feel like a little bit renewed with purpose. Like I went in to help people and that's really like what we're doing firsthand. We're saving the world. But um Another thing that we really, really appreciate is um, donations of any form of PPE. Um, so masks, gloves, if you can donate them to your hospital, that would be amazing. Um, another thing that we really appreciated were um, there are some programs out there that partner with local restaurants. Um, they give donations to the restaurants and the restaurants deliver food to the first line um, workers. So that has been awesome, um, especially because a lot of us don't usually get the time to prepare food for our shifts or eat food on our shifts. Um, so that's been really nice. And something we love, um, kids have been like drawing pictures and um, thank you cards. And we hang them up in like the lobby of the hospital. It is the cutest thing and really, really encouraging. I'm trying to think what else. Oh, um, any restaurant or um, other businesses that have been offering discounts for um, healthcare employees have been so, so appreciated. Um, I know that I don't have the head to make dinner these days and and I'm a food blogger so you know so you much can't more. do it nobody can <laughs> exactly I mean not not that much but yeah basically like that so it's been really great to be able to order food at a discounted price um and then there are so many companies that have been offering um free things for healthcare employees like I know Willow was offering um their hands-free pumping system to 
first line employees who are breastfeeding. And that was so appreciated. Sneaker companies have been offering like um, shoes for healthcare employees, which is also so appreciated. Pretty much anything that you can do just to show that you guys are supporting us and um, thinking about us and that we're not just, you know, making you guys stay home. Um, that's really helpful. There have been like some posts that I've received or questions from friends that are saying like, I don't understand the emergency rooms are empty according to so-and-so, or this is not a real virus. It's just a ploy by the government. Whatever your conspiracy theory is, I'm seeing it front lines and it's terrifying. Even if, you know, it was started by, I'm definitely not endorsing this, but even if it was started by some whatever crazy government ploy, please stay home. Please listen to the rules because we are fighting for our lives out there and trying to keep things at bay. And honestly, these videos are not encouraging to us or these questions and posts. We don't have the time or patience or emotional energy to deal with it. So should everyone just consider this a blanket debunking of any conspiracy theories? I'm not I'm not debunking any conspiracy theories because I don't have enough information about anything. But I am saying like save your conspiracy theories for your four walls of your house. End you are such a wonderful <laughs> measured medical professional and I am not. So I'm going to be the one to say keep your conspiracy theories to yourself cuz you sound like an idiot and you shouldn't be just stay home don't don't spread that garbage cuz it's like you said it's not helpful. It's even exactly. even if it is true, which it's not, but even if it is, um it's not helpful and it doesn't change the situation and the reality of what it is that that you're dealing with. Thank you. That's what we needed. Yeah, you're welcome. Anytime. I will. Anyone who wants to send me conspiracy theories, send them my way and I'll tell you that you're an idiot so that Shashi doesn't have to because she has actual work to do, you know, saving the world. So feel free to direct them my way. <laughs> you mentioned your food blog and I want to switch gears and I want to talk about that for a little bit oh, God, because I'm we so need to, we got to, we got to lighten this up and I, I want to tell me about cooking in heels, how to get started. Okay. So, um, I'm trying, I, I keep trying to remember an exact starting point. I don't remember an exact starting point. I remember being married for about a year and a half and saying to my husband, you know, I think I should start cooking now and then <laughs> actually doing it. Um, I think that we all have that, um, that realization. I certainly had it like a, I think after I'd been married for a year, um, we were, I think that we were like doing some budgeting stuff or whatever. And my husband and I realized that we spent more money on takeout than on groceries. And I was like, hmm, maybe we should, <laughs> maybe we should deal with that. So yeah, every, everyone has that. Maybe I should yeah. start cooking now. Yeah, I hear that. So it, it was a good, it was a good moment. Um, and then I started, I started cooking and um, I, I wasn't any sort of blog at first. There were no like Instagram blogs back then. Um, it was kind of like when Instagram started coming out, I posted, you know, a picture of what I made for dinner and somebody said, wow, that looks great. Can I have the recipe? And then I was like, wow, I get attention from this. I'm going to keep doing it. So, um, I did. 
And at first what I would do is just say like comment if you want the recipe with your email address and then send all of those people the recipe. And then I was like, you know what, this is taking a lot of time um, because my following continued to grow. Um, and eventually I just started posting recipes on a blog and posting it on my Instagram page and it kind of grew what it is to be what it is today. Yeah. Awesome. So, um, what I also like, and we, um, I was talking about this with SD Wolby is that your husband, your account is cooking in heels and your husband's account is eating in flats. And oh I really gosh, like yeah. that. It's fun. He's adorable. He is um, by the way. <laughs> yes. And if I was, if I was like in my ultimate reality, I think that we would be like a, a husband wife team duo where I would cook the recipes and then he would come on his account and like rate the recipe that takes so much coordination though i know but like if he's eating it anyway it would happen right i hear that i i hear how that would be really satisfying and also the scheduling behind that is like that's making me be like no i don't need it it's fine right but but in an ideal world that would happen but my husband's not for it he's like "Eh, yeah okay (laughs) <laughs> Same. My husband is so not inst- into the Instagram thing at all. It was actually, um, this was actually kind of funny. Um, by the time this airs, yeah, by the time this airs, the, uh, these will be out. But I'm working now on, um, I'm making paper dolls as a free download so that um, it's, it's, they're both a coloring book and a toy. So you print out um, all of the little pieces and then your kids can color them in and then they can cut them out and mix and match the outfits and have a good time with it. So, oh my gosh, such genius. I love that. Thank you. It'll I'm be so really excited. fun. Um, I'm excited. I had, so I was, I was working on it today, um, you know, doing the final draft and, um, and I printed them out and I myself was coloring them in so that I could um, photograph them and, and all of that. And, um, and my husband happened to have walked by the kitchen table where I was working on it. And he's like, Oh wait, no, you look so cute now coloring. We have to take a picture of this. And he like, he, he, he posed me and he's, and he was like, quickly go put a wig on. So I put the wig on and then he posed me. And then he like, like took all the junk that was on the kitchen table and like switched it out of the way. And then he snapped the picture and it was very cute. Um, and I said to him afterwards, I was like, you have never liked any Instagram thing. Like that was so out of character for him. Um, to do that, to have to be like, oh, let's quickly snap a picture where usually it's like, it's like, he just doesn't want anything to do with it. So yeah, I totally understand the, um, the hesitation on your husband's part. That's yeah, but it, that's adorable. Her husband is very huge. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yikes. Well, this has been, this has been, a, this has been a trip. This has been a, a roller coaster ride. I wanted to, before we wrap up, I just wanted to say thank you, um, to, to be in a way I think that there's that people can feel a lot like listen you're a nurse this is what you signed up for you know this is what you do um but nobody could have predicted anything like this and nobody could have um you know nobody saw anything like this coming and um the fact that you continue to go to work and continue to keep everyone safe is I I don't have the words for it um just thank you so much for um for the work that you're doing and for keeping us safe um that's it's it's pretty freaking cool thank it's, you was, oh, that's, thank, that's th- really sweet ah oh, it's this it's it's a lot this whole thing is it's it's a lot 
It's a lot, but you know what? I feel like I've watched another enough medical shows to know that there's like some sort of pandemic brewing everywhere. So part of me was not surprised. <laughs> like I, I, I know how contagion ends. I get, yeah. I've seen this before. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, it's fine. It's fine. You're good. You're prepared. But I, I do, I want to end this a little bit on a, a happier note because I feel like this was a very heavy session. Um, it's like I'm talking to my therapist um that what we're seeing now is a huge well not huge but pretty big decrease um and we're seeing levels downtrend which is really really hopeful it means that social distancing is working and people staying home is working and whatever you're doing you may not think you're doing anything but what you're doing is working um, when we started out in the town, we were seeing 30 patients a day and yesterday I saw two, two oh, wow. patients in the tent, which is a huge decrease. And I, I want people to know that there's a light at the end of the tunnel and that things are looking up. We're optimistic and I'm not saying that this is the end, but what you're doing is working. Wow. Social Thank- distancing works. Okay. That's, that, that's our, our place to end off. If somebody wants to um, learn more about you, Shashi, where can they go? You can reach me at cooking in heels on Instagram with two S's and also, um, you know, in the tent outside the emergency room. <laughs> and, ho- and hopefully people will not need to, to come there. Um, but yes, that's where they'll find you. Um, and yeah, the, well, I'm going to link uh, your Instagram in the show notes so that anyone who wants to can check it out. Uh, last thing that I want to ask you is what I ask everyone who comes on the show. And that is to you, Shashi Shine, what does it mean to make an impact? Ooh, it's a great question. Um, to me, Shashi Shine, it means um, to spread a hopefully positive um, message to the world to be able to, um, at the end of the day, say, um, I made some good decisions and I feel like the world is a better place because I am in it. Wow. Thank you so much for coming on today. Thank you for having me. It was so nice to be here. My absolute pleasure. Thanks for listening. In the show notes this week, you'll find all of Sashi's links as well as a link to the paper doll set I mentioned. It's called Itty Bitty Impact. It's loads of fun and totally free. Access all that by swiping up on the cover art. To hear more episodes, subscribe or head over to impactfashionnyc.com slash blogs slash podcast. If you enjoyed this episode and want to help more people hear it, leave a review or a quick rating. It makes my day. The episode art was designed by Michelle Moses. Original music composed by Nissan Fetman. This episode was produced and hosted by me, Rifki Itzkowitz. Catch me on Instagram and Facebook at impact.fashion.nyc. As always, here's to making an impact together.